But we know that after the resurrection, that Jesus appeared to James, and it was after that that James that his life was changed. And we see that recorded in the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, if you want to write that down. So he became a believer after Jesus, um, after Jesus presented himself before him after the resurrection. Changed his life. You, you can kind of see his story similar to what happened to Paul. And then also um, we know that he was a devout Christian. So once Jesus uh, changed him, then we see that he was a new creation. Uh, his nickname was James the Just. He was also called Camel Knees, and the Camel Knees was in reference to um, his knees and how worn out they were from prayer. And so he was, he was physically disabled because of how much he, he prayed. Um, and then also something that's not so light of a subject, uh, talking about his, 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 uh, his death, um, James was thrown down from the highest point of the temple, and, uh, but he didn't die. Uh, when he hit the street, uh, he was still alive, and then they came to stone him. That didn't kill him, and so then uh, they killed him by hitting him over the head with the club. Uh, that's, anyway, that's, that's what church history tells us. Uh, so why do I mention these things about James? Well, it's important for us to know for at least two reasons. One, because it shows us that he steadfastly endured great trials. Okay, that's important for the passage we're going to read today. And then also number two, when you get advice from somebody, the best person to get advice from is someone who has already been there and done that. Um, I, I think that's very useful for us to get advice from that type of person. Well, for James, he had already been there, done that, and he wrote the book about it, right? So that's pretty cool. So that's the person you want to go to for advice. So I, I think it's helpful for us to look at those aspects of James' life and, and, and basically understand what gives him credibility. Uh, James's advice or his James' advice to the church was that trials should be seen as a joyous occasion. Why? Because they bring on spiritual maturity. Look at verse 2. This is what we uh, talked about last week. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, last week we looked at two reasons we should count it all joy. Number one was we count all trials as joy because we belong to the living and sovereign God. That's why we can count all trials as joys. Uh, as joy. Number two, God ordains all trials for essentially for his glory and our good. That's the other reason why we can count all trials as joy. For those who belong to the Lord, we learned that trials become tests and tests become opportunity for spiritual growth. Verse 4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, the word perfection and complete here exemplifies a mature Christian. 
That's the point of the passage. Not that we would be without sin, but that we would be mature in our spiritual growth and we would be trained through life's circumstances by God. That is the hope of steadfastness having its full effect in us so that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, for us to understand this, it takes wisdom. It, it takes wisdom. It takes understanding. It takes a, a divine help. It takes help from God for us to really and fully understand this. So that's why we're going to look at our verses today, verses 5 through 8, to see the importance of wisdom from God and, and how we are to ask for it. So let's start by reading the passage. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Two important things that we're going to cover today. Number one, the importance of wisdom. It's what we should ask for when we are facing trials of various kinds. Number two, how we should ask for it. James is very specific in this passage and says we must ask in faith. So, number one, what to ask for and the importance of praying for wisdom. We see that in verse 5. But before that, James commands the church, as I mentioned already, to count all trials as joy. But you and I know that that sounds great, but it's, it doesn't always work out that way. We don't automatically count trials as joy. We often fail to trust God during our trial, which results in us having a weak faith. And, it also res and then that is a chain reaction or a domino effect. That leads us to have a gloomy or angry disposition, whatever stance we, we decide to have on the trial. Now, there are trials in all facets of life, meaning that we can go through temptation during the good, the bad, and also the ugliness of life. It's not just the bad times where we have trials. Good times bring on just as much trials as bad times. And I say that because this is exemplified by many Christians. There are so many Christians that have it better than they realize. So many. We're part of that. We have it better than we realize. But we can't find joy in the good times of life, much less the bad or the ugly times of life. Things are going well for us, and yet we struggle to be thankful. We struggle to count our blessings. We have 90% of what we ask for. The 10% is bringing us down. That's today's church and that's many Christians especially when in the western church now the result of all this is the same it's the lack of a trust in a mighty God when we sin against God it's because we don't trust him we want to do things our way or we don't have faith that he'll come through 
In other words, we don't take him at his word. Well, that's the importance of praying for wisdom. I, I like the way the NASB, or NA, yeah, NASB um, New American Standard Bible puts it in verse 5. The NASB begins with a conjunction, and it says, but, but, and then it goes on, meaning that you're supposed to count all trials as, as joy, but if you can't, then you ask God for wisdom in order to see it a different way. That's what's supposed to happen, because I believe that James has already taken into account that not everyone even after being transformed by the Spirit, is, are going to see, not everyone is going to see all trials as joy. And that's why verse 5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Notice that this passage and its promise are tied to praying for wisdom. Some want to make it all-inclusive, but we must understand, and in context, this passage is not all-inclusive. Some will use this passage to say that you didn't receive something that you asked for because you wavered in faith. Well, I don't believe that's the point. And that might be the right answer. There are things that I believe we do not get because we do not trust God. But that's not the only reason Scripture tells us why we don't get things. James chapter 4, verse 3, You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So it's not just about us lacking faith that God's going to come through. Sometimes we ask selfishly, not to honor God, but to honor ourselves. And God says no to that. So James is not trying to teach about all things here. He's specifically talking about wisdom. A wavering faith may be the problem if you don't have wisdom from God, but it, we're not completely sure. My point is that this is not an open invitation to ask God for anything you want and to expect it to be answered the way you want it answered. That's the problem there. We, we are invited to ask God. We are invited to bring our petition before the Lord. But to expect your prayer to be answered a certain way because you feel like you have enough faith, you're going to be disappointed every single time. Because the answer to our prayer is not dependent on us, but rather it is dependent on him who gives it. Notice that James prioritized wisdom above anything else that believers could ask for. I think that's a very important thing for us to look at. These guys are facing trials. We talked about it last week, how this was the scattered church. Uh, they were scattered because of persecution. So they were living in an area where they did not grow up in. They were living in an area where they had no land that they owned. They had no home. They had to depend on others. Rich landowners were taking advantage of them. They were being persecuted because of their faith. And it was to this that James tells the believers, count it all joy. Count it all joy. And if you lack wisdom to do so, then ask from God and he'll give it to you. That's the, the context of, J, of the, the advice that James gives uh, to the church. And he prioritized wisdom above anything else. He didn't say, hey, ask God to completely t 
take you away from this problem, and, and, and if you have enough faith, he'll do it. Or ask God to provide you a piece of land and a home, and if you have enough faith, he'll do it. Notice it wasn't anything material, wasn't anything like that. It was wisdom that James prioritized above anything else these believers could ask for. I think that speaks volumes to who we are as people. We, as people, would rather ask God to rid us of our trials by taking them away and basically replenishing or replace what has been lost. If you don't believe me, then just check yourself. Think about the last several of your prayers and see if that's not happening in your own prayer life. When you go to the Lord... It's not about, hey, Lord, give me wisdom. It's not about, hey, give me strength or, or, or grow me through this. That may be it towards the end of your prayer. That might be sprinkled in there a little bit. But the main part of your prayer is save me from this circumstance. How do I know that? Because I do that too. We go to the Lord and we say, save me. But that's not the point of going through the trial. The point of going through the trial is, through, is to grow. To trust God more. How are we going to do that? Well, not on our own strength. We're going to have to have wisdom from God to understand what's going on and what we must do in order to please God. So here, it's not about asking God to rid us of our trials by taking them away, replenishing or replacing what we lost. As believers, we cannot expect blessings and promises without actually going through the stuff that it takes to get to that point. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is the, the, the story of Job. It's one of our, all of our favorite stories. Whenever we're going through trials, we remember Job all the time. Why? Because we understand that he went through hell. But then on the other side of it, God blessed him so much and we relate to Job. We feel just like Job. But the problem is, is that many of us only want the blessings that Job received at the very end and not the trials that he had to go through in order to get those blessings. I think about the book of Job and how helpful it is. So many Christians find refuge in the book of Job but only because of what he had to endure and how everything ended. If Job didn't have to suffer, we couldn't relate. If he was just blessed, if it ended in chapter of uh, the first part of chapter one, how it talks about how, how blessed he was as a person, that book wouldn't mean too much to us. But the reason why it means so much is because of the trials he endured, and we see the blessings of God as he endured those trials. And also, something very important about Job that I think relates to us as well, it wasn't until he endured his trouble that he said this, Job 42, verse 5, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. He didn't say that before he went through his trouble. It wasn't until after. So he had a knowledge of God, some sense or some knowledge of God. But after he went through his trial, that was changed. He saw God in a different light. In other words, God became 
very real to him. Job's confession is our confession, and it is the outcome of receiving wisdom from God. We, we cannot come to faith in God. We cannot trust God completely unless we have the wisdom to do it. And wisdom is the most helpful thing for us in seeing God's sovereignty and his providential care during our trials. But what is wisdom? Because if I ask several different people, I'll get different answers. But when we look at the Bible, wisdom is the trait of using knowledge and experience with common sense and insight. That's basically what wisdom is. It is the trait of using knowledge and experience with common sense and insight. As a trait, and you, as you look at the word, as a trait, it looks at it, it displays itself in two ways. Number one, discretion. That is the trait of judging wisely or objectively. Number two, as moderation. The trait of wisdom working itself out in self-control over one's passions and desires. Why do I bring those two things up? Because the one who is truly wise can make sound judgments and they also walk according to their convictions. That is the one who is truly wise. A lot of us look at wisdom as just knowing. Like we think, oh, we've lived 60 years. I, we, I've lived 46 years. Since it, so then therefore, you've lived 30 years. That means I'm wiser than you are. It doesn't work out that way. It doesn't. It's about what we've learned how we apply it to our lives, how we have been sanctified by it. So, in other words, it's not only talking the talk, it's walking the walk as well. Many consider themselves wise because they think they can judge others or they think they can judge situations well. Well, let me tell you, let me enlighten you a little bit. If you think you are wise because you can judge others or situations well, but yet you lack self-control, you are not wise, you are foolish. We have all played the fool. Because both go together. It's easy to place judgments on others. It's easy to think for you to, to give your opinion. It's another thing to control your own urges. To use wisdom to please God. They go hand in hand. So wisdom is not only knowing, but it's also doing. Proverbs 5, verses 22 and 23 say, The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly he is led astray. You see how wisdom works? It's the knowledge and the application of that knowledge. That's why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. If you don't know the Lord, then you do not have wisdom. Wisdom comes from him. When you come to know him, when you fear him, when you revere him, then wisdom comes into your heart and your mind and it changes who you are. And according to James, 
He says, true wisdom can only be given by God. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He didn't say, hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask the elder. Or let him ask his parents. He says, let him ask God. Why ask God? Well, because according to James, he gives it generously to his children without reproach. I love the word generously here and how it is translated. It's translated to simply. God does this simply. Giving wisdom is one of the hardest things to do in the human life. Like to give true, helpful wisdom. To have the right words to say at just the right time. When I think about trying to do that, I always mess it up all the time. If I sit there and I'm thinking too much on, oh, I got to give this person the right answer. I got to give them the right spiritual advice. Because if I don't, then this person's life is going to be all messed up. When I don't think about it that way and I just rely on God and rely on what I've read, what I've studied, and, and how God's word moves me, it's a different story. God bats a thousand percent. When he gives wisdom, he gives it simply. Why? Because he is perfectly wise. It's easy for him to give it away. And then James says he gives it without reproach. The word reproach is, means without finding faults or without mocking. I thought that was interesting because it reminded me of sometimes whenever you give something to somebody, let's just say it's five bucks. You gave them five bucks before. They went and they spent it foolishly. They come back and ask for five bucks again. You give them the five bucks, but then you tell them or you mock them and say, don't spend it like you did before or don't waste my money again. That's the picture that's given. God doesn't do that. He does it without reproach. When we ask for wisdom, he gives it to us simply and he gives it to us in grace. He is faithful to give us wisdom when we ask. If we ask for wisdom from God, James says it will be given. So he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God and it will be given to him. So what is it that we are supposed to ask God? We're supposed to ask God whenever we are going through trials, tribulations, when we're going through the hardest point of our life, the struggle of our life. We are not to ask him to take us out of it, uh, to completely free us from it. Uh, to take us away from the consequences of it. Um, none of that. It's to ask him for wisdom on how to deal with it. Ask him for wisdom on how to glorify him in your trial and, how, and, and to gain an understanding of the purpose behind it. But then James is not done. He also says how we are to ask for it. And that is the importance of faith in our prayers. Notice the use of the conjunction again. Well, not again, but but he uses it again because it sets the condition for the prayer for wisdom to be answered. He says, but in verse six, let him ask in faith with no doubting. I ask you this. What is doubting? 
if not trusting in God, not trusting in who he is or what he can do. Isn't that a lack of faith? When we doubt, we do not trust who God is and we do not trust what he can do. Faith is something that is not yet experienced, but still hoped for. That's what the Bible tells us. I reworded that, put it in my own language, but that's what it is. It is something not yet experienced, but still hoped for. Listen, we can't walk by faith if we don't trust God at his word. In order for us to have faith in God, that means we must trust God. Having faith in God is knowing that, number one, God is good. We easily say that. In fact, if I were to say God is good, you'd say? Right. It's always in our mind. Except for when we're going through trials. Then at that point, you start to panic. You start to wonder, how are things going to work out? You start to ask God, why am I going through this again? Why doesn't he or she have to go through this as much as I do? When is this going to go away? Doubting is not trusting, again, who God is or what he can do. But having faith in God is knowing that God is good and he alone is sufficient for life and godliness. Godly wisdom allows you to see It allows you to see all of that before believing your sinful mind about the problem. I know when trials come into my own life, my mind wanders. I start to think of things that have not yet come and probably won't come to pass, but yet my mind goes to those places. And in reality, it's just a a waste of time for us to stress over things that have not happened yet or probably will not happen. When I do that, it shows me my lack of trust in God. Because even though if those things do happen, they're not worth having anxiety over because I know that God is good and his power is sufficient for my life and godliness. He is so good. And his power is sufficient. So then, therefore, there is no reason for us not to trust him. And it doesn't matter our past, our present, or even our future circumstances. He is trustworthy. We have no reason to not trust God, yet we struggle with it. We do it often. When we lack faith in him to be faithful to us, We sin against him. Think about it. You not trusting a perfect, holy, and trustworthy God, there's really no excuse for it. James gives the church an illustration of the man who struggles with trusting God. In other words, he gives an illustration of a man who struggles with not having faith. 
Uh, look at verses 6 through 8. He says, But let him ask in faith without doubting, or with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven, driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. I think we all remember that illustration. It's, it's, it's put just very nicely. It's, it gives you a wonderful picture of how the waves of the sea are at the mercy of the wind. The person without faith in God is a spiritually and emotionally unstable person. The picture paints, the picture that is painted for us is that this person, this person is determined or their, their, um, their disposition, their attitude is determined by their circumstance. Or said another way, their circumstances determine what type of person they will be that day. If things go good, then they're going to be a happy person. If things go bad, then they are not going to be a happy person. In fact, they're going to be angry, um, or they're going to be overly critical, or they're going to be just completely uh, sad. It just completely depends on the circumstance. Can Christians fall into this habit? Yes, many have. Their comfort is their God, and they only trust in the things they can see and feel. What does that sound like? It sounds like they trust in idols. If things are going well, I'm well. If they're not going well, then I'm not well. And life is not worth living. Or life is just horrible. Personally, I think I do struggle. I, I think I struggle with that. I don't think I do. I know I do. I'm trying to take the easy way out. I spent a lot of time in prayer struggling with God concerning that topic. When you're going through it, you really don't see it as idol worship. But at its root, that's what it is. Your trust, your everything goes towards what you see, what you can feel. But it should Always lie with God. It doesn't matter if it's how things are going, how well they're going, how bad they're going. Our trust should always be with him. And I love how James puts it. He says that the man who does not trust God, not only is he tossed to and fro by the waves, but then he also says in verse um, 8, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The meaning behind double-minded man, basically it translates to a man with two heads. What's, being, what's meant there is that it translates to 
a multiple personality. Basically, two men in one man. The man who doubts God and doesn't trust God at his word basically is fighting amongst himself. He's unstable in all he does. Or in other words, he's unstable in all his ways. The one who doubts God and doesn't trust God at his word has no sure footing or stable foundation. When we look at wisdom, we see that wisdom trusts what has worked in the past. And we must understand that God has always been faithful. Doubt does not trust. And it is influenced by every sign of trouble. Therefore, as we look at this passage and we try to apply it to our lives, we must trust him because of who he is and also what he has already done. Psalm 13 is one of my favorite passages. And um, when I teach on this passage, I always, it always makes me go back to Psalm 13 and to contemplate or to read what David was contemplating at the time. We know David's life was full of trouble. And when he penned Psalm 13, he was going through trials. But listen to what he says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? He's lamenting here. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in your soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now listen here, verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. And then here's the kicker. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. He goes through and he says, this is everything I've been through here lately. It's horrible. I don't like it. But no matter what it is, verse 5, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Verse 6, I will sing to the Lord. Why? I'm going to sing to the Lord. I'm going to have joy because the Lord has always been good to me. And I know he always will be. Why? Because that's what he's told me in his word, and I trust him. See, the prayer of faith is taught throughout the Bible. Like James I find what Paul says very helpful when it comes to faith and prayer. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, he says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God responds to the prayer of faith for wisdom with wisdom. We are told that whenever we are going through trials, that we are to go to God and ask for wisdom. 
then we are told that if we ask in faith, it will be granted every time. So let us not ask in faith like, oh, if I have enough faith, then he's going to give it to me. Or let us not ask in faith of the gift. But rather, let us ask in faith of the giver of all things. We ask because we trust him. And we know we will receive because he is trustworthy. As we face trials of various kinds, the best thing we can do is seek after God in prayer and ask for wisdom to deal with those trials. True wisdom is found in God alone and it's found through his word and also the counsel of the church. When the counsel of the church lines up with his word. God is willing and able to give you wisdom. In fact, James taught us that he gives it to all of us, or rather all of his children, according to his mercy and not our worth. Thank God for that. When we pray for wisdom, or anything else for that matter, we must pray in faith. God rewards those who trust him with their prayers. Doubting God, or doubting that God will do the right thing, makes us unstable and indecisive, which causes us to be thrown around by life's circumstances. So as you walk away from here, think about this. The Bible invites us to cast our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. But I like to add something to that that is absolutely true. Cast your anxieties upon him, not only because he knows your circumstances and because he cares for you, but cast your anxieties upon him because he is trustworthy. When we need wisdom from God, James is telling us, he will be faithful in giving it to us. So that we can count it all joy when we face trials of various kinds.